Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Sabbath School from Home. This is part two from our discussion last week, and except we're deviating from the, the quarter recommended topic and uh, striking off in a bold new direction. I'm glad you've decided to join us. My name's Cameron. And I'm Lachlan, and I'm too looking forward to this bold direction. You, you may recall, listeners, that the, the designated topic for this week is part two of Mission to the Unreached. But if you've listened to our previous episode, you'll recall that we found the term unreached quite difficult. We went round and round trying to work out what we were going to use as a definition for it and ended up kind of musing, what if everyone is a little bit unreached? And in our world, what if many people are a bit reached? Yeah. So there's an obvious thought that we have to tackle today. Yeah, yeah, which is the mission to the reached. And in my um, local Sabbath school at Launceston Lot, um, it was summarised very well by, much better than I think we did on the podcast, um, one of the participants, he said, well, basically, he said, if reached means, has someone got to the point where they realised their need of God and committed to a journey with him, then that's fine. But if reached means you've like reached Nirvana, now the destination, you've sort of arrived, then he wasn't comfortable with it. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, Good thought. So, but in terms of the mission to the reached and the developing on this thought a little bit, uh, the reached and the unreached is a it's an odd dichotomy. It's an odd axis on which to plot people. Um, what does it mean to, for instance, um, what happens if you uh, used to be a Christian but no longer feel that you belong to that faith? Are you one of the reached? Mm. Now, what if you're post-Christian? What if you're not individually post-Christian, but you belong to a society which is post-Christian? So yeah. the society as a yeah. whole has some vague awareness of Christianity and some of the stories and you celebrate Christmas and you... But in terms of actual... Um, what happens What happens if Mission to the Reached just simply means the people who believe themselves to be reached or who, or who self-identify? What about if they've been reached? Let's, let's put it into really traditional... Context. Let's say they've been reached by missionaries, right? They are traditional tribes people in a an exotic land, and they have been reached by missionaries. But the missionaries are Catholics. Oh, look. Or some other yeah. um, denomination only in partial possession of the truth. Would that person count as reached or not reached? Yeah, exactly. Now, um, if a person. Uh, you know, it has been reached, but they have been reached. I mean, this the, the, the divisions go a lot finer than Catholicism, doesn't it? What if they've been reached by yeah. the wrong sort of Adventists? Well, I hope that the listener can hear the smile in my voice when I when I said the word Catholics, because um, you, you're taking it exactly where I was meaning, which is um, how easy is it for us to stand here and declare, oh, that person doesn't actually have the right picture. And so if that's the only picture you've heard, then actually you've, you've not been reached enough. And I have, I have a great, the difficult a, thing, a great is the, truth to share with that you. There's a precedent for this when Paul goes around and finds the believers who've been baptised by Apollos with the baptism of John. Yeah. So, but <laughs> against this, I'll just add, add one note in. Uh, my grandparents, or our grandparents, spent time in Papua New Guinea. And um, they spent some time there and participated in outreach events Organised by the Adventist Church, and there was a local man there, a Catholic, a priest who had spent his entire life there. None of these expats getting two trips home a year. Um, he'd spent his entire life there on no more wages than 
the local people could earn locally. The Catholic Church was not paying him you know, Australian rates. And he'd been mm. there for 50 years and he lived in a shanty at the back of an industrial park because it was all he could afford. And he um, would have been fully aware of the anti-Catholic sentiment within Adventism. And he had spent decades and decades and decades reaching out to these people. And then, you know, there's an Adventist mission and suddenly heaps of people get baptised. And you might imagine a person in that circumstance feeling just a little bit um, put out. Um, mm. But no, this this gentleman, I've, I've forgotten his name. I'll have to ask them next time I see them. But my grandparents, because um, they would remember his name. But this, this guy was so excited to see people being baptised into the Adventist church and so excited to see that good? the culmination of his mission. You know, so there's... Um, yeah, there's lots of dimensions to it all. Uh, Look, there's a darker, there's a much, much darker dimension to this as well. Um, we commented about the complexity of the word reached. Um, reach implies, oh, doesn't imply, has connotations of a physical contact, physical touch of, mm. um, you know, that you can reach someone in a gesture of rescuing kind of... Um, encouragement to to mm. pull them up out of a out of a pit but you can also reach into someone's personal space mm. and potentially do that inappropriately and the sad thing that occurs to me as we're discussing all these different aspects is there are some people whose experience of the message of Jesus yeah has been through a church environment where they were reached inappropriately mm. into their personal space and you 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 have to find yourself thinking if they reject that context if they reject that yeah. environment and say it is not a safe or healthy place you have to you have to think that what they're what they are rejecting is a thing that needs to be rejected and that's so complicated isn't it when you when you're sort of saying what if there's something what if that was a distortion the thing yeah. that reached them was actually a very distorted message indeed yep um you know it's it's ve it's very complicated to try and think about categorizing people as if you as reach if you say and i said this last week but if you say well hang on the thing that god's calling me to there may be large term long-term plans that i have to make and i will pray and be careful and considerate about those but there's going to be the vast bulk of decisions i make in the next 24 hours are not going to be about broad life directions and whether i become a missionary to the you know the middle east mm. like charles does in the adrian plas book um <laughs> because because every time he opens the Bible, he finds something about Israel. So he feels that he's, yeah. he's being called to the Middle East. Um, but it's a sign. <laughs> the, the vast majority of decisions we make are about local people, local things. Mm. Yeah. And if, if you say, all right, well, God's calling is for me to be his hands and feet in that setting, some of these yeah. difficulties disappear. It becomes a little less important to classify people as reached and unreached. And... Um, and in any case, like not everyone is called to the same sort of mission, and that's something that I'd be interested to have a separate discussion on. What if there are some people who are just definitely not called to minister to the unreached? They've just mm. got a different calling. Mm. I think that's I think that's really true. Yeah. Okay. Um, we need to jump in and read a passage of the Bible, and so we've decided um, to focus. Uh, like you found a great section. Um, what happens to the people who believe themselves to be reached? So, yeah. so when we say mission to the reached, we're going to say uh, people who self-identify yeah. as reached. Yeah, partly because 
um, that category includes ourselves, um, and and partly because that category uh, might actually turn out to be the most difficult kind of mission there ever could be. Um, yeah. So I think those are some of the some of the humbling frameworks that we need to have so, in mind as we tackle certainly this, if you, this passage. If you, and of course, we could be turning to any number of passages where Christ speaks out against people who are who yeah. are sure that they're they're not the ones who are ill. But we're going to turn to the Old Testament, look at Jeremiah, and um, Jeremiah is the nearest thing I could think of to someone who lived in a, a post-religious society. So um, the people there were religious, but only very intermittently. Um, and of course, the religion of the people who remained in Israel gradually just sort of died out and became mixed with local religions. And in the, mm. is the origin of the Samaritans that that there was such a strong rift between the Israelites and the Samaritans later. You know, there's there's a sense in which they trusted God once, but the city's in ruins. They repeatedly asked Jeremiah for advice and then consistently ignore it. Um, these are people who are sort of vaguely aware of a religious sort of context for their life, but are not sort of fully committed, and yet maybe going through the motions. That's what it seems to suggest um, in this passage from Jeremiah 7. Do you want to kick us off, Lot? Yes, I will. This is starting from the start of Jeremiah 7. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. O Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. So a brief interlude. It's, it's a message to the people who worship in the temple of the Lord. So that's why we're identifying them as being people who, who are reached. Yeah. <laughs> they, they attend church regularly. And of course, they, the symptom of your spiritual health um, is, I guess, necessarily, I was going to say this in a sort of a um, judgmental way, but, you know, we, we judge what people believe by what they do. And mm. as long as you're turning up to church, things must be going okay. <clears throat> well, let's find out. Yeah. So this is, this is the message. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans and widows. Only if you stop your murdering. And only if you stop harming yourselves by worshipping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. <laughs> but look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, oh, we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. Is that the verse that Christ quotes? I was wondering the same thing. If it's not, it's the same sentiment exactly, isn't yeah. it? The, the New Living Translation renders it literally, this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves, which is pretty yeah. much the wording that I recall from the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the episodes in the Gospels. Yeah, which is another great instance where God takes umbrage with, with the reached. Yeah, for this exact same reason, it seems. Yeah. Uh, go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. 
While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. Right. Well, it goes on a little more, um, oh. but I think we probably have enough to talk about there. We do, but we have to read a bit more, Locke. Um, can you read just verse 16? <laughs> Pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them, and don't beg me to help them, for I will not listen to you. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm laughing, but it's not funny, is it? It's extremely, extremely evocative yeah. language. And um, I think before we started the record button, I referred to it as kind of fiery. There's a... The other word that comes to my mind is violent. There's a sort of a violent tone yeah. in all of this. Yeah, It's fascinating, you know, because... Um, when Christ comes to the people of Israel and says, the people of this time, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are going to stand up and pass judgment on you. Hmm. You've got all these great feelings of superiority, but they're going to pass judgment. And you know, if I'd gone to Tyre and Sidon, um, they would have believed in me straight away. Um, but you people hmm. are so stubborn. And when you and they took such issue with that because they were the remnant and they were God's people. Well, when I say that, hmm. some of them took issue with it. Um, uh, and, you know, when Jesus said, you diligently search the scriptures, but they're the ones that talk about me, I don't think he was referring only to a few prophecies. He was saying the sorts of things I am doing and saying, including telling truth to power within God's supposed church, is the norm for God's prophets. Yeah. Your, your comment that only some people um, at the time had that, had that sort of response Reminds me, it's not even clear the way the Gospels recount the story. Mm. So, you know, um, in at least Matthew and Luke, and I'm also fairly sure it's in Mark as well, the um, just before mm. the crucifixion, mm. there's a triumphal entry. Jesus yeah. comes riding in on a donkey and the yeah. crowds are putting their coats on the ground for him to not touch the dirt. And yeah. so there's a crowd there proclaiming triumph and declaring him king. And in the chronology of the story, you know, only days later, yeah. there's a crowd outside, um, you know, Pilate's house yeah. chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and, and asking for Barabbas to be freed. It's a genuine question to ask, is it the same crowd? I don't know. Um, are they that fickle? Is it, is it a different crowd? Are, are there, you know, is it just that Jesus has become incredibly polarizing and there are those yeah. that that want him to be king? Is it that the people that wanted him to be king grew impatient and frustrated that he didn't do kingly enough things and so felt a bit burnt by the whole thing? And then, the, the yep. you know, it, it's it's left a little bit open in the Gospels. I have heard a sermon. I've got a feeling it was Norm Young. But he, okay, so I'm stretching way back into memory. This is a sermon from my youth at college church where it was suggested that um, the movers and shakers behind the crowd at the crucifixion were the Sadducees. The other ones allied mm. to Rome politically. And, you know, the idea of them paying, I think in one of the Gospels they said they paid witnesses to lie about Christ. Okay. Suggests that there's a crowd, but I don't know how many people constitutes a crowd. It was probably a very small proportion of the people in Jerusalem at the time. Mm. Um, so it, it could well have been a different crowd or a largely different crowd. The other detail on that that I remember hearing equally vaguely in my memory from a sermon in the past is because it was the time of the Passover, there would have been many people visiting Jerusalem. Mm. 
who, who were not sort of regular residents of the city. And so there may well have been, there may well have been multiple facets of the crowd. Yeah. Uh, people that had had much more contact with Jesus and his teachings and others who might have just been a lot more moving with the flow and the feeling and the, you know, the, yeah. the tendency of crowds in riot sort of mode to, yeah. to generate fairly persuasive sounds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know the answers to those, but I think that they, that they connect with the comment you just made. It's, it's not necessarily everyone, but there's definitely, um, there's definitely some, it's not isolated individuals either. There's definitely some element of crowd yeah. that feel they're very in, feel they're very reached and are very confronted by Jesus declaring very similar tone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So verse, verse 25 and 26, lock of this chapter, from, time, from the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets, but they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were a stiff-necked people and did more evil than their ancestors. And then he says mm. to Jeremiah, when you tell them all this, they won't listen to you. And it, it does make you think the great paradox, isn't it, the book of Jonah, where there's Jonah sent to a people that's outside yeah. and he doesn't really want to go and they listen and repent. And here he... Yeah, he preaches reluctantly. Yeah. And they listen and hear him and instantly repent. Mm. Here's Jeremiah preaching passionately. Yeah. And... No one's even listening. This is what I'm. This is what I alluded to at the start, though. Just before we read this passage, I think that this category of person that we're exploring, and this is the humbling bit. I think it has many elements with which I can identify. Not all, but many elements yeah. with which I can identify. And yet, I think it is the hardest possible egg to crack in the context of yeah. well, God's mission to the world. Well, even luck. The fact that you and I um, have thought that it might be worth someone else's time to listen to us talk yeah. on this podcast puts us in the category of people who have to regard us. You know, you'd have to say that uh, Locke and Cam think they have they've been reached in some way. But then that yeah. that seems to be the one of the defining qualities of. I mean, people reject God for different reasons, but you know, if it was a bingo card one of the things that would come up early is someone just believing that they're on the right track already. Like, I mean, that seems to be yeah. that sort of self-sufficiency. Um, and there's an element, there's an element in this passage that helps us, helps reveal what is driving that, that sort of self-belief and self-sufficiency. In verse four, the, it refers to people who promise safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. So they are placing, they are, they, are, they are referring to a visual, symbolic, ceremonial indicator of God's presence. Yeah. I go to church and I keep the Sabbath, so I must be right. Yeah, we must be right with God because God's temple is here. Because I eat nut meat. Yeah. Lock, so um, <laughs> not only do I eat exactly. nut meat, not only do I eat nut meat, but in my shed, I found six cans stashed away by someone else. I don't know if this came from mum and dad or if it came from nan and granddad um, clearing out their shed, but in the box in amongst tools, I found six cans of sanitarium vegetarian sausages no longer, uh. no longer in production. So um, <laughs> I've, there's only one so can we'll, left. If one of our listeners wants to put I an can... offer in, um, <laughs> it might be considered, but um, 
Yeah. Well, I thought you were going to be saying that you had them stashed away, hidden in a box of tools, um, so as to preserve them for the time of trouble. Well, if the time of trouble comes before Christmas, I'll have a can of sausages. But if, yeah. if not, um, the sausages might be eaten. So Fair enough. Uh, it, is, it is a trap. And um, if you honestly believe... I mean, this is Snoopy's book on theology, isn't it? When Snoopy's writing a book on theology mm. and Linus says, have you got a good title? And Snoopy says, yes. Have you ever considered you might be wrong? Yeah. and It's so good. Might be wrong means you might believe something wrong. But the worst thing is what happens if you might be wrong in the sense that you might just be living wrong? Mm. Uh, and this is one reason why I think um, Christianity is so definitively a collective exercise. We belong to the family of believers and Christ is a body with different parts and you cannot, I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. There's, there's a sense in which any person left to their own is so, mm. it's such an inadequate expression of God and such an inadequate vessel for understanding who God is that it, it is not really a thing. In other words, I, maybe individuals are not reached. Maybe it takes community. Yeah, that's a powerful thought. I mean, this, the, the sense... You referred to, to Snoopy. The other example from great literature that occurs to me is from Huckleberry Finn. Hmm. Um, and you have a community that are that are in tormented by the great evils of a family feud and are going around killing each other and have to take a break from that so that they can all go to church on Sunday. You know, and it's just this obviously in Huckleberry Finn, it's actually being written deliberately, yeah. I think, as as a bit of a critique of this, you know, you I mean, it's almost exactly, almost exactly um, the sentiment that God says in this message. Yeah. Um, the, in verse 10, verse 9 and 10, you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, burn incense, and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back again to all those evils. And, well, Locke, <laughs> and it's easy to say, yes, yeah, 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 but I don't do those things. Um, there's ones more subtle. Is it easy for an Australian citizen to stand up and claim complete innocence in our treatment of foreigners? Mm. I mean, this is, this is, you know, do I just, maybe, maybe I'm innocent in the sense that I have no ill will towards the foreigners, but I'm not innocent in the sense that I uh, could have become a bit more educated and politically active and I'm just too lazy. Like there's a sort of, there's a sort of innocence where you know, if only you'd gotten involved and made a few mistakes but at least tried to make a difference, it might have been better than being completely innocent in that sense. You know, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's really true. It's a really good point. Um, the, I mean, two thoughts pop into my mind on that one. I came slightly unstuck um, and I'm not going to presume to know what sort of opinions our listeners might have on the, the subject of Australian Aboriginal people. Um, but I chose fairly carefully to include a deliberate but um, carefully placed acknowledgement of country in a Sabbath school uh, lesson that we took at a church where the brass band went um, that I that I play part I'm part of recently. And afterwards, um, one of the people from the congregation caught up with me and effectively wanted to have a little bit of a go at me for doing that. And I understand where he was coming from. Um, yeah. There's a generational difference in in what feels normal in a public meeting and in a church meeting. Um, but I really, 
I tried to explain to this person that for me, I felt as if not doing what I had done would have actually been um, reducing the authenticity of the mission that I feel compelled to be part of because of my Christian belief and my desire to honor God. Mm. I mean, the, the simple statement of it is um, it was it was stated to me that an acknowledgement of country, acknowledging Aboriginal people were here before colonial Australia um, did not bring glory to God. So shouldn't have been part of a church program. And my contention was that for me, I only did it because for me doing it, it was part of me giving glory to God. Yeah. Now that's a, that's a discussion. As I say, there's no, there's no easy way to, to, to meet in the middle on that that that's a fundamental sort of just different packaging of this and as ah. i said to him I'm, I'm very aware that there's a diversity of of opinion but you don't even need to go to our treatment of foreigners yeah no <laughs> um, um we are um it's a bit like that cartoon that was around when the government was being was it the howard government being really strict on boat people was it the mm. um and the Howard government was pretty yeah. strict on boat. And there was a cartoon I remember in the Sydney Morning Herald of, of a couple of Aboriginals in the late 1700s looking out at these jolly boat people. Um, yeah. <laughs> the in terms of what brings glory to God, I suspect, um, I suspect that it made that person personally uncomfortable. He presumed that it made God uncomfortable. Like there's a worry when you say that doesn't glorify God. There are some people who find silence physical pain. And unsurprisingly, these people tend to say that the best way to praise God is with very loud music. And there's some people who find loud sounds physical pain, and unsurprisingly, they suggest reverence. So, I mean, there's a a sense here in which um, it's very easy to project. Um, Mm. And maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the person was very concerned with the overlap of politics and religion and Look, uh, yeah. that's obviously part of it. And I, I was I was actually, I mean, I don't need to go into a large mm. debriefing on it now. I, I actually did have to with a couple of friends after the event just to, just for my, because it was really, it fired my mm. um, my emotional response up, mm. the, 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 way, the way the confrontation took place. Yes, I was, I was aware, this is what made it so complicated. We've recently had a referendum in Australia that related to issues of recognising Indigenous populations. Um, To even mention anything in that context is automatically going to seem somewhat political. It's going to be inescapably feeling somewhat political to some people, obviously. Uh, And so then then you've you've got a whole lot of layers of complexity, do you? Do you then just avoid it? If you do avoid it, but you feel a fairly strong conviction that it's an important element um, of living the loving way of Jesus in the world, then is it right for you to avoid it just because it's uncomfortable? Well, I mean, what happens if you happen to live in a society where a whole bunch of issues such as treatment of foreigners and treatment of different minority groups within your culture if those decisions are made by political, not religious institutions. So the Bible admonishes us very clearly to be, to act well in this space, but our society has chosen to act through a political structure. Mm. I mean, this is, I don't really have the answer. I guess I'm eyeing the clock clock and we're we're ticking over half an hour. Um, One of the things 
one of the things, the places I'm getting to is that I am less sure that I have been reached. Well, I actually, this is one of the things that's really interesting. I think whether you've been reached or not, isn't it, isn't it more engaging to f- explore more of the possibilities of being unreached than to sit back and boast of how reached you really are? Um, what I mean by that is the if there is more tr- if if God's Holy Spirit is active in the world and if there is leadings of the Spirit to be followed and if there is kingdom of God to be sought, mm. then saying what are the ways in which I might be less reached mm. than I could be? How could I how could I be more reached by God? Yeah, and by His message yeah. and by His mission. That seems to me to be the right focus anyway. Yeah. Whether you're reached or not reached. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what I was meaning yeah. with, my, with my humorous quip about, about a Catholic miss, missionary. Yeah. You know, obviously, this has historically happened. Mm. There have been countries that, you know, and Catholic missionaries have done amazingly good things and have at times done amazingly bad things. Yeah. And I think that's true of any group yeah. of of people engaged i don't i don't think that there's a huge amount of statistics to support the idea that that adventist mission might be substantially different from some of the other you know congregations and 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 denominations of christianity that have engaged by some metrics so for instance the the rate of abuse of local persons by people in power and you know you know sort of broad scale i think by and large adventist churches in line with most other churches. And the reason for me feeling that is because a lot of that is cultural, not denominational. What I mean is it's not primarily connected to, to the details of our, of our doctrines. It's, it's mainly a product of the cultures from which missionaries emerged. Um, mm, and yeah. whether yeah. they were Catholics or Adventists or Presbyterians, you know, it, they were coming from similar cultures and were reflecting similar ideas that were at times flawed. Um, and and the humbling again. This comes back. I think it's so much more valuable for us to reflect in what ways, in what ways are we hindered by unhelpful cultural programming that colours the lens um, through which we see things. That's why I find it so valuable to exercise the humility. I remember saying once. I don't remember whether they were just a friend or a family member, but I know a number of people that are staunch atheists. And in a particular conversation on one occasion, I remember saying that I felt that their atheism was actually in line with the plan of God's plan, because the God they were rejecting was a God that I would reject and that I feel needs to be rejected. And the only reason that I was not joining them in atheism is because the God they had rejected was not the picture of God that I had chosen to follow. Um, yeah, look, that's an interesting idea. And um, if you accept statements from the Bible and from Ellen White at face value, God must be at work in lots of places. It would be very dangerous. You know, some, some people's atheism may be God's gift to them, that he has mm. been able to say to them, yes, the picture of God you were presented was so incredibly dysfunctional. By rejecting that, you are, in fact, moving towards the truth. Um, yeah. And... You know, we would do well to hesitate before we identify anyone else as unreached and identify ourselves too strongly as reached. And I guess that 
our prayer is that God would actually give us an authentic, that he would reach us. Yeah. I mean, that's what we really need. And, and any, any effective expression of him to the world is not going to be because of a, a particular state of spiritual nirvana in us. I think that that's unlikely. Um, it will be, you know, ev- even the gift to represent him accurately is a gift. Mm. Yeah. So does that mean we're coming to the end of this episode, having spent two episodes saying firstly that it's hard to to identify people as unreached because God's spirit is active. Yeah. And then secondly, saying it's hard to identify people as reached because there's always um, God is trying to reach them further. Yeah. I think I think that's a pretty good summary. Maybe this is not the most he- helpful uh, spectrum. Um, nonetheless, um, despite all the odds, uh, may God actually use us to achieve his mission. And, um, you know, if that happens, that will be, you know, his grace expressed in our lives. We will mm. wrap it up there. Um, we will be back next week with another recording. So um, please join in if you do uh, find it helpful. If you do consider us to be unreached, then you may reach us via the email address sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. Um, feel free to share this podcast with anyone who you feel would uh, gain value from it. And uh, we're glad to be part of this uh, community and we're really glad when people reach out to us. Um, And um, thank you so much. Join us next week.